I don't know how to quantify how much more productive I am because of our partnership. If I had to though, it's, it's on the orders of a hundred times more. Wow. Hello everyone. We have got it. Honey, I don't need that. Okay, sorry. Her name is cute. Classic working with your partner, guys. All right. I'm trying to help. <laughs> guys, we have a treat for you today. We chat with our dear friend, Jeffrey Abraham, who is the co-founder of Spoken, which is a startup that has done all the work for you in terms of furniture searching and shopping, and they deliver to you the best pieces at the lowest prices. It was incredible. Like every time I interact with Jeff, I feel like my cup of love in my heart full. Is, is full. And, and it's love for myself, love for the world, love for adventure. And that's exactly how this interview made me feel. Yeah, I totally agree. Jeff, you are so special. You're one in eight billion. I am so grateful to have met you for Paths to have Cross because you really, like much said, you make us feel fuller and more in love with the world every time we connect. So guys, you're gonna really love this one. We chat about, uh, for those of you that are looking to start your own business, lots of tidbits here from Jeff about the value of a co-founder. He recommends it, he thinks that's super important. So check out why. He tells us about his Y Combinator experience and more about building Spoken, his company. I found it really interesting as well to dig into the differences between a small business, which he had and run before, which was a pedicab business in San Francisco, doing things on his own terms, in his own ways, and then now building a high growth venture backed company. So let us know what you think. Subscribe and share and enjoy. Enjoy. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. I'm so, so pleased to get to catch up with you. My I... first podcast. Actually, I know yeah. I'm so honored to have mm. you on power hour. Have you share um, your story here first? I'm honored to be here. <laughs> it's going to be lovely. So I wanted to start up with a passion I know of yours, which mm. is San Francisco, but I need to set the context for folks who don't know you. Mm. So you are a son of New Mexico. I had the huge fortune of being able to visit you in your home, your childhood home, and your family was so gracious in hosting all of us. And you've also hosted Marcin and I in your lovely cottage, very romantic cottage in San Francisco. It's right behind the SF Painted Ladies. And what a beautiful, beautiful space. And I know how much you love the city of San Francisco. You've told us stories about swimming in the bay and all of these crazy things that you've done. And I wanted to start off with learning and understanding from you how this love for the city developed. In San Francisco by total chance. Um, I'd applied for a job. They asked for three cities that I wanted to work at. I chose three that were not San Francisco and then added <laughs> San Francisco as the fourth at the last minute. Uh, for whatever reason, the San Francisco office chose me to interview. Um, right. And that's how I arrived. The and this job, was consulting. Yes, it was for me at the time, 
the dream job, at least in terms of prestige, which mattered to me at that moment in my life. It turned out to be a terrible job for me. Um, and this was very confusing, but I realized that I didn't want to leave without um, thriving. So I arrived in San Francisco. It was not what I expected. And I guess while I was struggling with consulting, um, I would go on walks along the Embarcadero, huge open sky, which reminded me of New Mexico. And yeah. I, I felt comfort there. And then of course, right after college, I had done this long bike ride. It cleared my mind and eventually, which we'll get to, I found riding others around the city also cleared my mind. So that was the first inroads into feeling at home here. And then so much compounded on that. Uh, yeah. But it really began with a determination to thrive in a big city because I came from a small city. I was intimidated. You know, my city has a couple hundred thousand, depending yeah. on how you, maybe it starts to tip towards a million uh, people. Albuquerque, New Mexico, actually even I have to say the village of Los Ranchos, obviously for my father. So 6,000 people live in the city. Right. Every other context in my life had been small. My high school was small. My university was small. The program there was small. And part of me wondered whether or not I could make it in a big city. And when the job fell out from under me, I really wanted to thrive here. So there are two things happening here, right? You are from a small city and you feel like you've been dropped into this big world mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And then the other piece of consulting, which you didn't love. So not a secret. I didn't love consulting either. <laughs> so I totally resonate. There's so many others out there who really don't love it and it's yeah. not for everyone and good for those who do enjoy it. And it's all, it's all good. So I resonate and I love that you're able to find ways to clear your head, which is so important for me. It's running these days. It's actually taking care of my plants really clears my head and sounds They're like beautiful. Was, thank you. <laughs> sounds like for you it was biking and mm -hmm. kind of going on these walks and seeing how SF was similar to home. How many years ago did you move to SF just to give me context? November, 2009. Okay. Got it. And then what else were you discovering that helped grow the love even further? Was this the point mm -hmm. in time when you finished, you kind of left consulting to start Cabrio or were there other things in the interim? I started Cabrio at the beginning of 2011. I think the city has meant three things to me. One is simply natural beauty. It's a kind of natural beauty that draws me out of myself or brings me back to myself. It really is one of the most beautiful places in the world. and certainly the most beautiful city in the U.S. Yeah. And walking along the Embarcadero was the first time that I loved that. Another is challenge. So thriving in a city is, it was exhilarating for me. I, Mimosa and I did a swimming challenge a few years back, which I, and from a desert, I don't like swimming. 
You don't? Oh, no, I hate it. (laughs) Nothing about the water do I find appealing. Yeah. Because you you do so many of them. I never thought you don't don't like swimming. No, it was the, the sequence of things that happened in my head was, I don't think I can do that. I uh-huh. have to do that. Great. And I love that, it. That's how I did the San Francisco marathon, actually the same way. That's how I ended up, you know, swimming 40 miles uh, in the bay without a wetsuit over the course of winter, which by the way, I've only done once and many of the people there have done tens, if not more of times. Um, and so challenge building Cabrio building my company was a challenge. And then the last thing is community. And that really happened. It sort of accelerated slowly, but now I have such a strong sense of belonging here. Um, and I really didn't when I arrived. Um, and that is hard one. And I'm very proud of it. And a part of it is we know each other through school, obviously. And that became, that's been the most meaningful driver of it. And it was in hindsight, the best reason to do what we did for me. Yeah. I want to add one other thing, which is that even though San Francisco, it was, and I think in some ways it still is deeply weird. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and I, the, the tech infrastructure sort of is a layer on top of it yeah. that has happened yeah. in the last few decades. Newer. Mm-hmm. And so that affects the DNA of the city, but, and at its core, I think SF is deeply weird. And I, that has been liberating to me. I def, I found a crew of people that I related to in the petty tavers of San Francisco, sort of this motley crew. And there's something I really like about that. Even, I mean, even tech in a way began as edge fingers mm-hmm. that then had mm-hmm. outsized influence. And I find that very appealing. Why do you think you find that appealing? Oh, man. I love being an outsider. I don't know why. Mm. I mean, it might, if I'm really honest, it might, I might have a deep worry about whether or not I would be able to fit in if I really tried. So better to be a rebellious outsider and sort of plant a flag and build the world in the way but I wish it were. Hmm. It's a powerful thing to let go and say, you know what? I like this thing. I know it's edge case. It's weird, uh, but I love it. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I should say, I'm sorry. The more I think about this, I, I think I give myself more credit. I think in a way it comes from having an over a deep seated sense of how I want the world to be, how I think it mm. should be, where that comes from. I'm not sure. Maybe from there are elements of it in my family. Um, I got to meet your dad. I feel very fortunate about that. He seemed like a strong personality and character and mm. big influence in his community with his friends. Uh, your mom is wonderful, caring, kind woman. Your aunt, Karen, is also such a personality and strong mm-hmm. woman. So at least from my perspective, you were surrounded by really formidable personalities. 
And then you were an only child. I wonder if you had a lot mm. of time to think. I did. Yeah, I think, and importantly, maybe even they were children of an immigrant, you know, who was mm. ultimately on the outside. And it's, it was such an effort to, for them to belong in a sense, or at least for their parents. And I think that was a big part of their story, but I think that they also were deeply proud and didn't want to let go of what was uniquely theirs. And I think that pride I inherited in a way. You have lots of artifacts in your home that come from your family. I love that you have a pizza uh, oven mm. that holds a lot of significance to your family. And Right next to me, I have the toolbox that my grandfather made when he walked onto a construction site in New Mexico, uh, I guess now 95 years ago. And yeah. it, it is so roughly hewn that the people on the construction site called him the wood butcher. And then he eventually became uh, a contractor, had the first general contractor's license issued in New Mexico. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, all of these things mm -hmm. impacted you. You're not to be put in a box, Jeff. I'm so happy about uh, it. Maybe not. I know you also went to UT Austin and we just keep it weird here in Austin. Was it yeah. like that back then or is this a newer? Deeply weird city. Also something that I love. Austin is in constant evolution. I think even in a way that San Francisco is not. So it's unrecognizable to me. And I love that about it. <laughs> I think San Francisco looks much the same. It did a decade ago. Yeah. And yeah. It saddens me. I wish it were more dynamic. Yeah. And uh, Austin is Austin. Yeah. You know, and, and because it expands and changes so much, it also creates so much space for people to feel welcome. Uh, mm -hmm. and so it's. I love that the city welcomed y'all and that you found. I I felt very very welcome here. I've had nothing but the best experiences here. I almost feel like Austin may be potentially what SF was 20 years ago. Now with all the influx of folks and I hope like from tech, et cetera, from the coasts, I hope mm -hmm. we can keep Austin weird and unique like it is, uh, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Back to you, my dear Jeff. So back to the context we're setting. So you were in consulting, you didn't like it. You <laughs> loved the people and community you were discovering and you started Cabrio, which I think is so poetic because you love biking. Did you like biking before Cabrio? I fell in love with it because I did something I thought I couldn't do. My roommate <laughs> from college proposed doing this cherry bike ride. It was from Austin. Texas to Anchorage, Alaska. And wow. My first thought was, how can we do that? And my next thought was, yes, let's definitely do that. <laughs> I love it. And it was awesome. It was, <laughs> it, it was as irresponsible as it sounds. It was a bunch, it was like a bunch of, you know, 20 year olds uh, trying to make their way across the country, mostly by the grace of others. And um, anyway, so it was uh, 70 days of doing nothing but biking. Uh, biking requires strong legs. So I found them through that. Uh, and then once you have that base, it's sort of fun. 
to just get on a cycle and roll around. It is fun. And you translated that into showing visitors of SF, the beautiful city. And what was that like building Caprio in hindsight now? It's, it's funny. I think, I think I fell in love with the dignity of labor. I think that's what happened. Um, and this was a dignity that was very important to my family because they were immigrants and they worked through making things with their hands and ultimately the economy that we operate in, a lot of us are sort of abstracted away from that. And yet at the core, so much revolves around people who are proud about their work and what they do. And I, I just love it. It's ironic because in the meantime, the tech ecosystem was uh, emerging around me. And so in terms of economic outcomes, for example, it was not the right game to be playing. Uh, <laughs> but... I didn't understand this. I, like, I had a liberal arts degree. So I thought I started <laughs> with these tricycles. I was like, yeah, we're going to make jobs that are just as good as Google engineer. Like, you know, like they, they are, our petty capital will love their jobs, just like a Google engineer would love their job. And I didn't understand that it was a totally uneven playing field. Um, and yet, I did really love building the company because I think ultimately I believe that I built a company that emphasized the dignity of the labor and that people were proud to be a part of and that I was proud of. We, people felt the sense of belonging there and still do. Uh, and that's all very special. Those were all things that I think really matter in any company. It is very special. It's not trivial asking people to join your mission mm -hmm. and them creating an environment and culture where they really enjoy what they're doing. They feel really passionately about it. They're recruiting other people and the smaller companies and businesses in a way are the most meaningful because you're the closest with your employees. You feel you're seeing your customers every day you're seeing the impact and you're building it, you're all in it together. And I think they didn't know what to do with me. Cause I like, when I invited <laughs> people, other writers to the company, I gave them like handwritten notes with like wax stamps. <laughs> and then I would create these like slides kind of like, I said, oh, I was a consultant. <laughs> it was like for pricing and all these other things. Like, Who is this guy? <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> uh, okay. Another thing that was, wonderful about your cabrio experience jeff is you met your life partner you met the incomparable mimosa mm -hmm. and so today nowadays after covid especially more people are working from home than ever and where do people meet their partners it's a lot of time it's at school at work or with friends of friends and i think with covid work from home uh, that's taken away as an avenue for meeting, meeting partners. I know that these days it's becoming less and less accessible to with, with dating at work. Do you feel like in 2022, if you and Mimosa had started working together in Cabrio, you'd still be dating today? It's a funny, it's a funny question. I love, <laughs> I, my heart stopped when I read this question. <laughs> <I thought. laughs> 
Uh, They're like, no, I hope I, I'm so glad that we, we got to meet well, each other. Right. Yeah. I think the honest, the, I, I don't know. I don't know how to entertain the counterfactual. Yeah. I think my, the, the first thought that came to my head was no. And I think that that is precisely what makes us so special in a way. Like literally our Venn mm-hmm. diagram overlap at the very beginning was that we both liked riding bikes and that we were both kind of eccentric. Yeah. And then. So wait, we, your first thought was, no, you would still date, right? No, I think it was a moment in time of both of our lives ah, that we found each okay. other. Okay. Petty okay. holds like it holds a space in someone's life. Uh, and even for me, this was true. It was like for you arrive at the city. It's like a foothold. You don't know what you're going to uh-huh. do next. Or in my case, I had left something, but I didn't know what was next. It's transitional by its very nature. Um, no one wants to be a pedicabber for the rest of their life. Um, we did have some 70-year-olds who were like, you know, living out their glory days with some days of yeah. pedicabbing, but it is necessarily transitional. And so, and we were both in sort of transitional moments in our life. And I think it's important that that, the magic happened then in that way. And then we, in time, we clearly found deeper values alignment in, as we took on more together as she began managing the company. We managed, you know, we ran the company for a decade together. And there's, there's something very beautiful about that that has shaped our relationship. And um, there were a lot of areas that we were, there's some deep disagreements um, that we were committed to working through. Um, and I can't, I honestly, my life, the best things in my life look nothing like I would have expected them to look. So, and this is an example. I could never have told you the story about meeting Mimosa. Right. Building a bicycle taxi company. That doesn't make any sense. It would have made no sense to me when uh, I was 20. And it makes so much sense in hindsight. It makes perfect sense about how all of it happened. Um, so I don't know what the takeaway is, except that it was special and it happened yeah. like it was supposed to happen. I think there's a lot of expectations that are not necessarily equivalent of reality and reality many times, most times is even better than that. And just yes. being more open to experiences. I bring it up because I want to say, I, I see a lot of people not being open enough because mm-hmm. they don't, they think they should be doing a certain thing, a certain mm-hmm. way. And I really want to encourage more of just be open. You never know where life is going to take you or what this experience will give to you. Yeah, totally. May you be surprised, you know, may you be surprised. What you think you want is actually not the thing that will deliver you meaning. And life is beautiful that way. Yeah, it is beautiful. Okay, so uh, moving us a little bit along. So today, Jeff, you, are running a Y Combinator backed startup, which is Mm. huge. Congratulations. We'll get back to spoken in a minute, but to me, it's really interesting. The differences between running a high growth startup that's venture backed versus Mm. having Mm -hmm. run your own company Mm -hmm. that on your, that's on your own terms in the way Mm -hmm. that you'd like it. You can 
have these seals stamped for your new employees and PowerPoints yes. and whatever mm -hmm. you want to do. Mm -hmm. totally and I'm just cool. so curious to know what are the differences that stand out to you between the two? Well, I do the two things that I learned running the pedicab company for 10 years. I ran it with Mimosa and yet I started it without her. And so there's some, there was a portion where it was just me. Um, and what I learned from that company, which is still thriving today, uh, with the new owner, which is very fun. Very nice. First of all, I learned how lonely it could be to be on my own and also how much more effective I can be with a partner. And I also recognize the limits at long last of the scale of that company. I realized that I could not compete with Google for <laughs> engineering talent um, as fun as a pedicab job is. And so this venture, uh, I have a partner who I've known for 17 years, really the deepest partnership in my life outside of my partnership with Mimosa. And we are, we have a big vision for what we can do um, and a sense of how much it can matter. And we are running towards that. And so those, both of those things, I think, were learnings from my, from my first Business. Business. Yeah. I love that you brought up your partner, Dane. <laughs> I didn't know you knew each other for so long, for 17 years. <laughs> I'd love to dig into this, the topic of co-founder, whether to do it with a co-founder versus not, and how to pick a co-founder is very relevant for people who are thinking of starting their own company or business and would love to get your insights in this space. The stuff I've heard a ton of is a bad co-founder is worse than no co-founder and <laughs> a good co-founder will infinitely better. So how did you and Dane decide that you were right for each other to work together? And how did you come to the decision to build Spoken? First of all, my, my experience is, I don't know how to quantify how much more productive I am because of our partnership. If I had to though, it's, it's on the orders of a hundred times more wow. effective than solo. And I, I, there are many reasons why that's true. I guess ultimately startups fail because a founder gives up, you know, it's, and being accountable to someone that I respect and balancing one another in a way that we, we know through 17 years of relationship is it's just a wild kind of like factor on our productivity. Um, Dane invited me to start the company. We knew each other in college, but our friendship blossomed in the years after he started two companies, did Y Combinator in 2009 and came out to San Francisco and was sort of in the tech scene. And so we had some overlap when he was in the city of San Francisco. Um, and we, our partnership was defined by two things. We would go on long walks together 
like 13 mile walks. Um, and we would take on challenges together. He would, he introduced me to, uh, at the time, soul cycle. Uh, we, <laughs> we did, he did, he swam the first mile, uh, of that swimming challenge with me. Um, we just, and we would hold each other accountable to challenging things in our lives. And he eventually officiated our Burning Man wedding also. Um, and, uh, so we were always, we have talked about over the course of our relationship, quite a few ideas, no less than probably a dozen ideas, um, just as an intellectual curiosity, something that's fun. This would be a good idea. He was workshopping an idea after he had exited from his last company and I was speaking with him about it. And I didn't, I didn't think that I was the right co-founder for him for another number of reasons. Um, but we had a lot of fun talking about the idea. Uh, at the time, the idea was we called it Shopify for freelancers. So this would be like sort of micro sites for um, service professionals. And uh, we were just having a lot of fun discussing it. I had my first daughter on the way already. So I didn't think that this was the right time to start a company. And yet he pitched me uh, on joining him. And uh, I thought about it over the course of the weekend and I sort of couldn't imagine a more thrilling thing to do. And I, I realized I wanted to work with him. Uh, and so that kind of kicked off our journey. The idea died. Um, and, and that's a whole nother story. Uh, I'll, I'll pause. I think things that are sticking out to me are in your relationship over your 17 years, you've held each other accountable. Mm. You've taken on challenges together and you've cultivated this friendship. And I, I'm imagining through working through these challenges, you get to see each other at your best, at your worst, at your low moments, you get to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. And by holding each other accountable and being partners and friends to each other, you've been able to hold each other up when each of you's needed that, which mm. is literally what you need in any partnership, especially in your co-founder. The other yeah. thing that's so interesting to me that I want us to make sure listeners understand is it, you, you workshopped a dozen ideas, you said. So it's not always the first time around it works out. And it's about keeping on iterating. And sometimes it's the product isn't great, or the market's not ready, or the timing's not right. I love that in this instance, even though you had Naya coming along, yeah. this just the sound of this was just so thrilling to you in terms of the next challenge and adventure. Yeah. And you took it on with Dane, what happened next? Well, it's another funny example where I could never have imagined what we're doing now, you know, and I yeah. think, you know, I, I could ask you having known me well, would, if, if I would have told you, <laughs> no, no shop furniture, shopping, <laughs> does that sound no. like, yeah, Jeff, no, yeah, Jeff would do that. Yeah. No, but again, it's not always about the idea, but it's about these other things that work to make this possible. Right. So you had Dane, the timing was right. You and Dane together, hundred X by mm -hmm. yourselves. <laughs> And most importantly, you were both excited to build something together. Mm -hmm. We were going to say something. No, I just going to say the idea, 
that we liked was failing, which is another, you know, mm. we, I think because we believed that we were smart you know, mm -hmm. and worked hard that mm. necessarily people would like the thing that we did. Yeah. Uh, we worked on it for, uh, two months, two and a half months, and it became very clear to us that no one cared about it, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a very different, it was a, it was a, we could talk about the idea. We sounded smart when we talked about the idea. It had right. know, almost like a social currency where people could immediately get it. Um, and yet it was failing. And we had a moment, our lowest moment of confidence came right when it was very clear that Naya would arrive soon. I hoped that Naya would arrive after Demo Day. She, it became clearer that she was going to arrive before Demo Day. So we took kind of a look at one another and said, you know, this, well, we had to decide actually whether or not to proceed with Demo Day with Naya having come or to defer. It was a very hard decision. We deferred and it ended up being the best thing that could happen to us. We went on paternity leave and Dane was just enormously gracious in allowing me time to prioritize my family. I never felt once that he, that, that, uh, I was just so grateful for, that, for the time that he gave me, which was another sort of beautiful element of our partnership. We came back together. He pitched me on an experiment. Uh, and I was not sold at the beginning because it was, it sounded weird. It was like he, he had, he had bought a bunch of furniture for his apartment. He was missing a part for, uh, one of the items he looked for it online and he found the exact same item that he bought for half the price that he bought it. And he looked for the other items and he found them all for half the price. And he, and so I, though we didn't really have any other way to go. Idea. It's yeah. Just, yeah that's right. <laughs> like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, I think, I think is a beautiful thing that we, T and I do. And we sort of realized that we, you have to, we, we had to create momentum in a way. Mm -hmm. And so. It's also crazy because you didn't plan it, right? Yeah. You just yeah, yeah. had this experience at this time, at this mm -hmm. particular period when your previous experiment wasn't working and discovered, hey, and, and it was the right time when you were looking for something new to do. And he was, you were like, let's try it. Like we have nothing else to do. It's just yeah. wild that you can't plan these things. And I think a lot of time people will sit and ideate for years and try to find the perfect thing. And sometimes you just got to go in, try and learn from your experiments and pivot. Yeah. And so we, and we, we found out that there was a lot of energy around this thing that we had uncovered. Um, and it's still, it's still, it's crazy to me in hindsight. Now I believe that there is actually, I, I believe that the opportunity is quite big. Uh, it didn't have to be that way necessarily starting from that particular starting point. Like we were just, we just went in a direction because there were some signals and, yeah. and in a way, actually, I think what really happened we've had this pattern all we what we're really trying to do is generate our own confidence because when we are confident and the world organizes around us i, I sort of can't be confident unless i have a certain kind of integrity in myself i can't i'm not gonna you know we have investors uh 
Right. It terrifies me in a way because, um, you know, I'm not going to pitch you something that I don't believe in. Um, and so that's just, it's a very high bar to have a kind of confidence, a, a confidence like that. Um, and specifically when you're starting a company, you have to find that confidence sort of where no one else has. And it's, it's very yeah. special. And again, I would never have imagined this journey Cleaning online for furniture is total chaos. It's crazy. Very messy for mm -hmm. a number of reasons. And I, I think that that's true outside of furniture as well. <laughs> I think that in furniture, the pain is most acute. Um, and so we now are building what we wish existed when Dane was searching for furniture. And the sort of broad idea is just to make online shopping thing. Yeah. Constrain the furniture for now. So we moved a year ago, you know this, you were one of the first visitors we had at home, right? You saw our furniture shopping sheet. We were looking for things that would be delivered on time that were at the lowest prices. It was a ton of work. So Spoken is one of my most recommended apps to people. You know this, I, I tell every, it feels like people are moving all the time and all the time. Are always trying to find good quality furniture. It's really opaque because yeah. you can't tell it's like you can take any brand and you can buy their couch, for instance, and then one couch may be different from another couch, depending on what factory they sell it. Like to your point, you can find things that are half the price in other sites. And so it just feels messy and sad that, ah, oh, it feels painful. I think painful is the word. And on top of that, it's deeply emotional because you're bringing these items into your home. You know, that's like, how do you want to feel about the item that you select for your home? We want to feel great about it. Uh, and yeah. In the meantime, it really feels like walking onto a used car uh, lot. Right, right. And, and people are just selling you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I love Spoken so much because you've done all the work for us. Thank you, Dane and Jeff. And you <laughs> made this beautiful website where we can just look for whatever item and we know guaranteed this is the lowest price on the market. That's just wonderful. Before we move on, Jeff, you mm -hmm. mentioned something that's vulnerable and I think all entrepreneurs, frankly, can relate to, which is the feeling of you are searching for confidence in your idea and you just want to feel confident and that's very hard, but you personally need to be that source of confidence as an entrepreneur to build this product, to mm -hmm. get it out into the world, to share it with whoever your customers, et cetera, et cetera. How did you find the confidence in Spoken? Well, I think that this is why my partnership with Dane feels 100x. Mm. It's because we can be really honest with one another about when we do or do not feel that confidence. Sometimes, you know, if I, if a, maybe if a relationship is less trusting or open, I might hide it. I might, you know, I might say, oh no, I feel, I feel good. I feel good about this. Uh, when I don't, and we're, we're just very sensitive to one another and create space for voicing things that give us doubt. Um, and then on the other hand, I think we're both very interested in 
sort of manufacturing momentum. And that's a, that's a nice balance. Um, and we can become, we've just become self, self-aware of when you know, we had actually, we had a, a moment of self-doubt on Friday. We had a, a measure was down that we hate to see down. And yeah. we've been trying to push out a release of the site. It's delayed a little bit. And so it's kind of like, could have been expected that it would be. And, and it's an ongoing I don't know. process. Yeah, it's like we, we both we both were like so upset <laughs> by this. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. There was just like a lot. There was like kind of a softness. And we like supported one another uh, in various ways. And we digested the information for ourselves. And then we came back, uh, you know, yes, chef, this morning, ready to just move, push towards a goal. And yeah. that whole cycle. I don't know. I, I could, I could just imagine it going other ways as a solo founder. If you get a bad piece of information, it's sort of easy to spiral out or if you yeah. don't have a relationship where you can really process what you're feeling, uh, or, you know, that it might look very different. So, um, yeah, so valuable to have someone to just be a sounding board. Yeah. What, what gave us the thing that the, this, the thing that changed my mind or like changed the way that I think about building a company, at least in this particular way, uh, was the, is the shift from something that sounds good to something where there is energy. So it's like when, mm. when we, when we arrived, when we felt energy from users, it was a totally different experience. You know, we, we, it's with, when it was a cerebral when I could talk about it, people uh, understood what I was saying. It felt good, and yet there was no, no one, no one's really jumping cared. out of their seat to buy it. Yeah, yeah. And then and on in the other hand, it's like I can't, I couldn't. I still, people still are confused. You know, when I, really unspoken. Yeah, like why, why furniture? What do you? I don't really get it. Interesting. I mean, I, we have learned to make it sound better over time. Mm. I've learned to like the opportunity that I think is there, but really before all of that cerebral stuff, it started with someone caring and for us to like follow the signal of someone caring and to hope that they can care more. Um, yeah. And I, so though we have all this internal mechanisms in our partnership that I think keep us really balanced and keep us motivated. I think we also are really attuned to, you know, like, uh, I, I now have a sense we haven't arrived at product market fit, but I have a much clearer sense of what it begins to feel like when you're getting pulled mm -hmm. in a direction rather than yeah. push in right. that direction. We're just trying to hone in. And so I think being very sensitive to that um, has been one way that we have arrived at more confidence. Makes sense and really good advice on following your customer's energy. As we round up talking about co-founders sounds like you're a big proponent of co-founders any other tips for people that are thinking of selecting a co-founder what should they look for um i think my i think co-founder is non-negotiable honestly i just like i can't i can't, I can't handle that home enough um and uh dane I, when he was thinking about co-founders i don't remember if it's gary tan or brian armstrong but there was a 
one of them wrote a blog post that said something to the effect of, you probably already know your co-founder. That is interesting advice. I'm not sure we have, we just have so much bandwidth because of the history of our relationship. Right. It's uh, so much robustness because of that. It, it takes all of the relational risk out of the business. I haven't questioned once whether he's mm -hmm. committed to the long term or whether I'm committed to the long term. Um, and I think it's very hard to start the kind of relationship that can be a foundation for a company from scratch. Uh, I'm sure it happens in maybe for certain like very technical businesses or something, you need a, a very special kind of person. Um, yet for, I like the advice that you probably already know this person. You already have a history of relationship right. with this person. Either at school, working together through class projects, or you work together at work. It doesn't even have to be in the same department and you know you can get through conflict together well and give each other feedback and push each other, hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. For me, it's about, is this someone you can get through the hard times with, have hard conversations with? Mm -hmm. And is this someone that's open to growth and feedback and vice versa can hold you in a space to that? Because I think if people that are shying away from difficult conversations, that's kind of a recipe for disaster. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think totally. And I think when you say that, it makes me think one other thing, make, make sure that you admire your co-founder. You know, I think that that, I, I just admire dating so much and that, you know, that, that has so many implications in terms of even, you know, doing what I say that I'm going to do because I right. said it in front of him, you know? Right. Um, and that kind yeah. of, you don't want to let Dane down versus yeah. someone you don't care. You're like, oh, whatever I said mm -hmm. it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> totally. And a lot of this also translates to personal partnerships. Um, yeah, we did. We I, both have. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just appreciating your smile as you said that. <laughs> Very beautiful. Yeah, we, we, uh, Dan and I play, play well together, also play is a very important part of our yes. relationship and the way that we're making this company. And it's a very important part of my relationship with Melissa also. So. Mm -hmm. It's play is a term I think of you whenever we hear play, because I think of it as one of the pillars of Jeff that, that are important to Jeff and who he is. All right, my dear. Okay. Would love to learn more from you about the Y Combinator experience. This is an accelerator for those who aren't very familiar where you can go in and it's kind of like an incubator where you can learn about the various steps and stages to building your startup. There are great advisors at YC, Michael Siebel, et cetera. And lots of companies have gone through YC like Airbnb, Uber, YC is a um, funder of lots of these companies. So really great exposure getting to learn from the best. I love that Dane had gone to YC before and gone again. So lots of people go several times, not like you go once and you learn everything there is to learn about building a startup. Startups are all different markets, customers, et cetera. What was your experience, Jeff? What were some of the things that stick out that would be fun for others looking to go into entrepreneurship to learn about? Well, just for context, one thing that I appreciate about C in the context of the Bay and startups in general, they have not single-handedly, but um, importantly changed the landscape of funding specifically for seed stage companies, companies that are just starting 
and they've done, it's not just they, I, I particularly admire Paul Graham. He's sort of this philosopher king, uh, uh-huh. uh, who is at the center of what I see he's a prolific writer. And this was very intentional on his part. He wanted to sort of take out all of the frictions of starting a company that seemed painful or necessary. Uh, and they've just tilted over time, the balance of power from the people with money in term sheets to the builders, to like the makers. Um, and I love them for that. I was not an engineer in school and I, I get, I was a maker in the context that I made the pedicab company. Um, and yet YC has just such, such a maker ethos. We, yeah. We went to school, MBA program together where mm-hmm. we lived together. We truly did live together, which was very wonderful. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Um, just a lot of what happened, like it's very hard to pull out of cultures and organizations like hierarchy, declining of hierarchies, just there's, there's so there was so much social context to what we did and that made it very beautiful. I think it's why, uh, we have such deep relationships in YC, there was sort of none of that. It's all, it's uh, all stripped away so that you can focus on building, building the thing that you're building. Um, and that I found very valuable in addition to, because I, I had never done something like this before the structure in the kind of like institutional knowledge that they have access to, that they open to give access yeah. to, they literally have a playbook. Like this is how you make a company. And there is a small set of people that don't need that information. Like they started in a high growth company and they like have a bunch of, they've seen it a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Most of us, or you know, certainly myself, yeah, uh, love like that, the manual, I love referencing. It's like, it's like a part of my brain, even today, mm. uh, which this is sort of an iconic set of information that they have. And they ask you not to share outside of the program um, program. It's just, you know, it's like a library lookup. Like I'm having this problem, you know, what do I, that's do? awesome. It's very yeah. cool. And in a lot of cases, and in our case, I mean, I, sometimes I have people that have dealt with a similar problem. It's nice to talk to humans. Uh, <laughs> If you, not everyone has the same kind of resources. And in particular, this, the batch is, it's recently expanded. Um, one of the very cool things about it is there are a lot of international companies. Um, right. And that's been a focus of theirs. And so I just imagine like, it is what a force for good that right. place is. So I feel very proud to be um, connected. Part of it. No, yeah. on this force for good and expanding the batch totally brings access to these resources, this library, the mentors to folks who wouldn't have had access to it before. It also, one of the things that it did for us is it gave us somebody that we feared. Uh, <laughs> we had a, you know, we were mapped to a partner and we met with them every two weeks and we actually met with various partners different cadences. And we had both our peer cohort who we would with, and they would be working on things and we were accountable to one another that way. And then we also met with a partner. Um, 
who we were accountable to. And we would, you know, we would like freak out the day before meeting with them. <laughs> Teacher. Yeah, right. Exactly. We had, we had this outrageous goal that scared us. And yeah. every, basically the only question every week was how much progress have you made towards this goal? You know? Yeah. Oh, that if, sounds like such a great accountability system. You're pushing yourselves. You're like, oh shoot, this can't be done. Therefore mm -hmm. let's do it. Mm -hmm. And then you have a partner that you're terrified of. And then you have each other who you admire. You don't want to let down. Totally. And then on top of that, the partner has seen so many pat. He's done so much. He's seen so right. many. Startups. So many right. Startups. Right. Yeah. So yeah. All this pattern matching where we'll any, they would last 15 minutes to part conversations, but our questions we get solved in a yeah. moment, uh, because this person usually had a clear view. Uh, and we still, you know, we still meet with our, I think one of the, the, the thing, perhaps the biggest thing that I took away from YC though, is, yeah, is, is something around ambition and tempo. It's like, so, so the ambition piece is just, you know, if you, whatever you think is a hard goal for you, you could probably 10x that. And then you, and if you did, you would think about the goal differently. Um, so say more, say more. Well, we, uh, we just had our partner, we had some credentials. I, I have Stanford right. today. Dane had gone to YC, exited the company. And so, you know, he was like, yeah, you probably could raise on that, uh, alone. Um, mm -hmm. but if you really wanted a number, so they, they, they compress everything to a single metric. You're measuring the okay. thing. That's the, that's the only thing that matters week on week. And you, at the end of the program, program is demo day. And so you have a certain goal by demo day. Uh -huh. And our metric at the time was number of users to the site. Right. Um, and we just, I, I think we started with like a couple hundred users a week. And the first thing that we did, we had like 30 users. <laughs> so <you> know, <laughs> when, when I thought about how many users we could have by demo day, back then, um, it sounded crazy that it would be over 20,000, you know, I, which it just, it didn't, it seemed like, and, and so Arch, who is our partner, he, we, and you can, we would squirm through this conversation with the, the goal setting yeah. conversation. Like, um, maybe it's 50, <laughs> if you really want to stretch us. And he said, you know, you have to, you have to hit a hundred thousand users, uh, to, to have it be impressive outside of your credentials. Um, and then thinking about that. So that terrified me. And then, and then okay, we, so he helped you guys 10x your goal there. He said, you really need to make it feel like you think you're challenging yourselves, but you can do so much more than that. Yeah, I can't remember what the first number we threw out was, but it was either 10 or 20,000. Yeah, and he said, it's yeah, 100, uh, right or more. And uh, we like very barely hit it, right? <laughs> but it was, still. We didn't, well, we didn't think we were gonna hit it until like the week before. Um, but I, but, but it just, it, forced me to think about the problem in a different way. Um, yeah. And uh, I appreciate that. No, and I think a lot of the time it's that we are selling ourselves too short. We are not pushing. And, and again, there's a balance like mental health wise, what you can do wise, but oftentimes 
it's just about what goals we set for ourselves. So yeah. And well, I it's appreciate not, that. And it's not just like, it's not just hours of effort. You know, I think most of the significant moments of our company history have been insights that have come, I think it, in part because we allow for it. Uh, and yeah. so yeah, it's not just, it's not just sheer hours of effort. I just wanted to say that it resonated a lot with me, what you said about, uh, it made you think about the problem differently mm -hmm. when they told you you need, you know, you had 50 users and they're like, yeah, you need hundred thousand, mm -hmm. uh, after first seven months of running marketing wizards, I remember it was end of the year. It was January. I went for lunch with Tomek and Carol, my co-founders who were mm. at the time working on other projects. They were kind of my, a little bit more mature entrepreneurs and my co-founders, but not actively involved and more like an advisory board. And, and, and I think we made like 10,000 or several, several tens of thousands of, uh, dollars lot in profit. And then they said, and I was very proud of it. I was like, wow, like our company is making money. And, and they're like, this is cool. So how do we do, how do we make a million zloty this year? And I remember it sounded just so ridiculous. It just sounded so crazy out there, but then we like, look at it and then we broke it down into, you know, December, November, October, like going backwards all the way to January. And then the number for January and assuming some growth was, was like still ridiculous, but it was, it was much more achievable. Mm. And so. And in the end, we, I think we actually exceeded that number, uh, and way beyond, but yeah. it, if I didn't have the, the push to, you know, this is the goal now and you need to, uh, you need to aim really high. Like I wouldn't even start thinking about the ways I can get, get there. So resonated, resonated with me a lot. Yeah, totally. And then that, like, then that feedback loop is so powerful of when you actually achieve the goal, you know, even like. If we, we've had outrageous goals that we haven't achieved and we got close, but then we've also had outrageous goals that we achieved. And then it totally rewires how, what I think I'm capable of, which is Which is fun. anything. Yeah. Yeah. What a great way to, to wrap up our amazing conversation. You're capable of achieving anything. Jeff, what are other examples of things you've achieved where you surprised yourself? Well, I think, um, I think the life that I'm living is a total surprise. The way that it surprises me specifically, we're talking in the context of startups, the problem is still constrained. I have such deep meaning in so many areas of my life, uh, friendships, my family and my family is probably the most important, um, building this company. I've been pursuing a few other things that are meaningful to me. Yeah. And the idea that I could do them all at once would have overwhelmed me. I think even a decade ago, uh, what I ultimately attribute this to is more robust sense of self with better internal signaling of when I need to take a break or get some self-care, um, and the compounding of so, so many important things, relationships, primarily, really actually primarily relationships. And it's just like, I woke up one day and I did all of these things 
and they're all going fairly well. I couldn't, yeah. I almost would have thought I'm very proud of being a father to Naya. And if I would have, yes. if that was the only thing that I did well, uh, or I'm very proud of being harder to Mimosa, if those are the only things that I did well, I would be, it would be a win for something. And <laughs> it's surprising to me that when, that all of them can work together. And I think that they have to in a life we'll live. I think that ultimately your, my life has to be integrated to, uh, such that I feel that I'm thriving, but it's very, it's very special when all of that is working together because it seems like I'm just sort of overwhelmed, honestly, with gratitude that, that any one thing is where it is, let alone all of the things. And sometimes it falls down. Sometimes it is too much. Um, but, uh, it is special. It makes me think of this analogy I was describing of you have a thread or mm -hmm. one string, which is you. Mm -hmm. And with Mimosa, you've become stronger, intertwined. And when you add in your community, Dane, your friends, mm -hmm. us, et cetera, mm -hmm. multiply that to your whole mm -hmm. community. You have this beautiful tapestry mm -hmm. that holds you together and you're mm -hmm. holding each other together. And mm -hmm. with this, you can have bad days and less strong days, but you have all these folks and community and relationships to hold you strong. And like, that's, you do the same for your community. And mm -hmm. It's a beautiful metaphor, I think, for life and a perfect way to conclude our one of many, many chats that we have. I love you, Jeff. Oh, this was wonderful. Too, yeah. It was great to have you on. Thank you. So I'm excited for what this becomes. You will shine. I know. Thank you. I'm excited too. All right. That's a wrap. Right. <laughs> Yay. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.